Good. So, Bob, we're back in business. Well, yes, it's always always nice to be back in business. It is. It is. We're just trying to figure out all the little technical glitches that we've had here, but it's all worked out. And yes, uh, as you know from our pre-production discussions, we have a couple of interesting items that impact on our community. And I yeah. think uh, if you might, if you don't mind, I'll bring up the one which I thought was really interesting because we were talking about why is everybody looking at certain things internationally uh, with such great focus? And maybe they're doing that because there's something else happening and the mm -hmm. powers that be would rather our attention be focused on something else. That's right. Yeah. Just like a magician, right? The slate right. of hand. It's over here, but it's actually happening over exactly. here. Exactly. So one of the things that I came across on Friday in great preparation for our, oh, by the way, this is our 15th broadcast. Ooh. Just to let people know. We're, well, I think that probably deserves some sort of celebratory something or other. Should I leave well, now? Maybe I'll have one of those whiskeys later. Yeah, yeah, I could get one now, but then we'd have all this dead air and people say, who are these people? Yeah. Anyway, seriously, though, there was a, a report about uh, what's going on in China at the moment with American techies. And this is from the register, which is a technical uh, uh, technology based uh, uh, website. And they were saying that uh, American techies in China may be breaking the law by showing up to work. And uh, what's happened is that the USA has placed restrictions on semiconductor transfers to China. And they come up with an even smarter way to uh, deal with the Chinese, in their opinion, this would be State Department and, and, uh, and I guess, uh, the military uh, establishment, is that they have told Americans who will work in China that they can either quit or uh, working in China and return home, or they can renounce their citizenship if they want to still stay in China working for Chinese companies that make uh, semiconductors. It says here that the USA's restrictions on semiconductor technology transfer to China is about to wreak havoc in the lives of Americans working in the Middle Kingdom. Speaking at an American Club of Singapore event on Thursday, this is last Thursday, fellow by the name of Stephen Okun said that regulators announced the noctist are the Americans stopping AI chips and semiconductor equipment reaching China from the US, but they are now also forcing US nationals working at related Chinese companies to resign. One of the parts of the executive orders that just came out is that US persons, and that is citizens or green card holders, can't work in China in the semiconductor industry. You have a lot of Chinese Americans who are in China who are working in that industry and they're going to have to quit and go back to the US or at least quit and not work in China anymore or they're going to have to give up their citizenship. That means that there are hundreds of Chinese American semiconductor A and other tech workers who are potentially violating US law uh, just by going to work each day. 
And so this is a this is phenomenal because um, in this report they go on to say that the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. Uh, has now decided if a foreigner wants to buy a seaport or utility or other critical infrastructure, it must get approval from the Treasury Department for the foreigner is allowed to buy an asset in the U.S. In fact, it's not just now, it's been on for a while. You might recall Qatar wanted to buy seaports mm-hmm. way back uh, and, uh, and they were restricted from doing so. And now what's happening is a reverse of this uh, uh, Committee on Foreign Investment um, rules, which means that a U.S. company can buy a Chinese company. It has to be approved by the U.S. That's never happened before, other than with military technology. But it's not getting much harder for outbound investment review than we've ever had before. The consequence of the potential verse is that venture capitals in countries like Singapore that invest in tech companies in China and raise money from sources that include U.S. citizens will have to seek Uncle Sam's permission before buying Chinese companies. So this has happened regardless of the election in the States, which is November the 9th. Uh, this has already happened. Hmm. So on the subject of the midterms, the potential for foreign hacking interference uh, can't be discounted as a consequence, but interference in Russia has decreased because Putin is too tied down in Ukraine. So when we're talking about him being tied down in Ukraine and our attention being focused on Ukraine, this is you know global internationally. In the meantime, the back, back door uh, the American government has decided that their people have to get out of Dodge, basically. And uh, and it sends a message to the Chinese is pretty apparent. Yeah. Well, I think I mentioned too in our, our, our pre-recording uh, discussions that we have both worked on the borders. And I always found it strange when you would get a motorcyclist a motorcycle enthusiast, I guess, is the best way to describe them. Coming up on a stereotypical hog and their stereotypical guard with full patches and all the regalia. Right. And everybody seems to want to focus their attention on that one person, but I could never understand why they weren't looking and saying, what is it that they don't want us to see? And I, and I guess maybe that's what's going on right now part and parcel with Russia, the Ukraine. They, they want to keep us focused on something which may be tangible, um, may not be. I, I, I don't know for sure. Well, I mean, this is, this is interesting because while the world, particularly, I guess, Americans in this case, focus on, 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 on Ukraine, rather, this little... Uh, uh, regulation change, this has a significant impact on, on, on U.S.-Chinese relations going forward. I can't imagine that the uh, PRC is particularly happy with this. I mean, as you indicated in our discussion before, they probably have hacked enough of this technology already that, okay, so they leave town, we'll, we'll pick up the slack. Uh, but still, uh, this is kind of a strange... Uh, I guess an imperial power like the U.S. in this case can do this. Uh, it'd be very, I think, if, if another if another country tried to do the same thing uh, with a U.S. company, uh, it would there'd be howls of unfairness and and you know probably litigation and everything else from from the U.S. Uh, 
uh, for uh, if 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 the reverse were to happen. Um, anyway, yeah. this this is really one of those things that happen in the background. You go, wow, uh, this really is kind of the the tree falling in the woods kind of uh, story. Yeah, it is, and and I guess it goes back to what we said right at the beginning of the podcast here, where we're wondering. What is this sleight of hand all about? Are we being led to look at something when, and again, if you're a US citizen, are you knowingly breaking the law now? Are you unintentionally breaking the law? Uh, if you go to work five days in a row, is that five charges of this new law, whatever it is that you could be facing? Um, And if that's one side of it, what, what else is going on? What, what, what are we missing? Well, you know, it's very challenging these days to have a, a contrary opinion or even asking questions about this whole Ukrainian-Russian uh, uh, war, crisis, debacle, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's, it's the, the, the position of, the, of NATO, of the EU, America, Canada, whatever, is that the, the Ukrainians are always right and the Russians are always wrong. So if all of a sudden you ask a question, well, you know, maybe we should question where are these billions of dollars going to and who's managing that account that's going to Ukraine and where's all this equipment going and who's using it and how, you know, there doesn't seem much. Uh, well, yeah. You know, the ledger doesn't seem to be very clear there other than if you question this, then you must, you must be a Putin supporter, which is absolute rubbish. You know the guy. Uh, the, the, there's no, there's no good guy in this in this story. No. Sorry, and there's just something that came across the wire here that you know starts to the milk of human kindness starts to you know sour a little bit because if you continually say that only one side of the story is is permitted to be discussed, then people will start saying, well, wait a second, uh, what's the other side of the story? And and in uh, in a, in one that just got published today, uh, uh, or sorry, yesterday from from Poland, is that the deputy minister of the interior of Poland has indicated the Polish government will change regulations related to how the state finances refugees from Ukraine because, according to him, Poland can't be paying for refugees from Ukraine forever. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're running out of money. Okay. There are approximately 80,000 80, refugees currently housed in centers in hotels and public buildings across Poland, according to the Polish Interior Ministry. And the, and the, the, the minister said that this, this handout thing just cannot go on indefinitely. Okay, very simple. And the government wants to ensure that those still in residence in these places after 120 days can listen to this, can contribute up to 50% of the costs and gradually become self-sufficient so they can support themselves in Poland. Now that's a that's one whacker of a of a, a condition. In other mm-hmm. words, you're not going to be sitting in the in the hostel. You got to go out and work and pay for your housing, pay mm-hmm. for your food. And uh, you know this is uh, phenomenally different from three months ago when when uh, the policy well whatever it takes. If we have to uh, allow every Ukrainian who wants to leave Ukraine to come here, we'll look after them. Well, the milk of human kindness in Poland is seems to be souring. Um, you yeah. know, because according to their own data, the Polish border guards say that there are twenty-two to twenty-three thousand daily 
border crossings from Ukraine into Poland, but only 5%, okay? 5% of them are considered refugees. So that while Poland has prepared for eventualities, it must do everything it possibly can to limit outward migration. So since the beginning of the conflict in, in February, Poland has maintained an open door policy for refugees. These have been housed in private homes, centered, maintained by central local governments, especially the wider you know, Polish uh, public, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Point being, they can't do it anymore. Well, and it also comes up too with a couple of the, uh, and it serves our, our viewers are aware, we, we watch the, uh, the Border Hawk News uh, webpage quite frequently. Yes. And you, start, yeah. and, and you start looking at some of the highlights that are going down there and, and um, it almost looks like, again, looking at Poland, well, you're going to have to do this, you're going to have to do this, you're going to have to do this. Um, in the U.S. now, they're, they're looking at this and, uh, and the legal alien did this and the legal alien did that and, and they're involved in this and they're involved. It's almost becoming a we-they uh, situation. Sadly. Which, works out well yeah well the 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 the, it, the, the numbers in in involved in the u.s uh mass migration movement i might even characterize it anymore as a illegal or undocumented it's a mass migration movement mm-hmm. which uh, you know in the last two years has essentially added the population of ireland to the United States of people who they don't know who these people are, what they're doing there, you know, what is the strategic uh, impact on the country. None of this stuff apparently matters to, yeah. to a large swath of the political uh, 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 elites in, in, in the United States and to that to some extent in Canada or even in, 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 uh, in Europe. When you look at the numbers showing up in the UK and across the net and yeah. so forth. And so you, I, I guess for us armchair uh, uh, observers, the question is, okay, what's the end game here? Well, and I think we've probably talked about it before. Right? Uh, uh, an end game, is there an end game? Or is it just the fact that a lot of the, uh, the political leaders who are fairly elite or elitist, in their approaches, uh, well, let, would the new British Prime Minister ever have to worry about a bunch of refugees moving in next door to her at 10 Downing Street? No. Not likely. Would, uh, would the Governor General of Canada ever worry about uh, having an encampment of illegals on uh, the Governor General's estate? No. And would, would there be a tent city of refugees be allowed on the, the, the front lawn of the White House. Never going to happen. So they can have all these wonderful esoteric programs and, and procedures and without really contemplating what is happening, one, with the people themselves. I mean, yeah, obviously they would like to come to the United States. They'd like to come to Canada, you know, and they're going to find out pretty quickly that that the streets aren't paved with gold and it's not the land of milk and honey that they've been led to believe it is. Um, 
And and it leads, I think, to some of the the border hawk news where um, are they going into gangs or are they forming gangs to protect themselves or, or simply because there isn't the money to go around for them to to feed their families and and you know uh, I I don't know what the end game is it chaos I don't know well, you know um, there's always someone or some group that uh, profits from this okay the, the simplest ones of course are the criminal gangs and the traffickers mm -hmm. and all that this is uh this is not news and 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 it's uh it's, it's, it's as plain as the noses on our faces but when you're talking numbers like five million people or you're talking about uh entire cities uh that for example in lisbon half the inhabitants are immigrants aren't portuguese okay then what what is it that you're doing that is uh, of, of of value to someone else besides the people who sold them the tickets or, or transported them there or traffic or smuggled or what have you? And so, I, you know, it becomes a shadowy kind of a conversation here as to who profits, like who or what group uh, is uh, powerful enough to put governments into positions. These are people who the taxpayer, uh, citizens voted for to look after their interests. Clearly it's not in the interest of, of the residents no. of these jurisdictions to be overwhelmed by people from other parts of the world, uh, you know, without having been welcomed, number one. Number two, how are you going to uh, assimilate the, these, these folks into your communities who might have altogether different uh, uh, lifestyles, uh, 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 um, ideas of what community is, and so forth. Uh, like, you know, yeah. it, it, it's almost overwhelming. This it's, it's, even even f when you have had years of experience with the whole trafficking business or the migration uh, uh, movements or the legalities involved internationally and nationally. These numbers are so huge and they're so uh, bizarre in their makeup because if it was just all Mexicans that moved into the U.S., for example, or only uh, or the group was very uh, homogeneous. This is not a homogeneous group. Five right. million people are not not homogeneous. It's just so, it's overwhelming in terms of, of their backgrounds, of their skills, their experiences, their cultures, their religion, everything. And all, you're throwing that into uh, uh, an already uh, uh, challenged economic and social uh, uh, community, uh, certainly in the big cities. Uh, you know, you've got, you've got homeless encampments in almost every large American Canadian city. Now I look, I watch the program in Vancouver, which is just, just outrageous what's going on the East end of Vancouver there. And, and, you know, what do you do with them at the same time as you're having thousands of new migrants showing up and interesting enough, they're not migrants on the streets. You know, when you look at the people who are in these streets, they're not from, the, the movement that just crossed the border or flew, flew in or whatever. 
these are these are long-term residents who are out in the streets with drug-addled problems. They're homeless. They're they're they're. I mean, it's it's. And so you wonder, like, what is like when I say what's the end game? What are you going to do to to manage that home growth well, problem along with these this other uh, uh, mass of humanity that's showed up? It has to be clothed, it has to be fed, it has to be educated, it has to be sheltered, and so on. Well, and too, the other side of that is, is um, end game. Bringing people in, they're not sending people to nowhere Arkansas or next to nowhere central Alberta. They're putting them into large cities. Which are over which are overcrowded and are already way too expensive for the average person that lives in the city. Are you setting these people up for failure? Is that why they move to gangs? Is that why they're trying to supplement their living with selling drugs or, you know, whatever it happens to be? I, I don't know. It used to be an adage that you could follow the money trail, but I'm almost to the point where I don't even think a forensic accountant could follow the money on these things anymore. No, but I'm just, my suspicions are more darker than that, are darker than that. If you want to change a society uh, surreptitiously, you can do it by having it overwhelmed with problems that then require a very autocratic approach, almost dictated, you know, I, we, I'll fix it. This is, this is kind of the fertile ground of, of, of uh, dictatorial regimes. Because, you know, when people start to lose hope in their leadership, then suddenly out of nowhere, a group or a person shows up and, and says, I got the solution for you. I will deal with all these problems. Believe in me, because I've got the stick and the carrot. The carrot being, I'll fix your problem. The stick, I'll fix their problem. And so, you know, it's, I'd say, I, I, this is just off the top of my head, but I, I have this dark feeling that if you want to see a, a, a movement of really autocratic, short dictatorial regimes take over in previously so-called democratic market-driven economies and countries, this is how you do it. Because when everything becomes dysfunctional uh, or the, you know, and, and people lose hope, uh, you know, they have no faith in the justice system. They have no faith in the law enforcement. They have no faith in their politicians. They've lost their faith in their religion and they don't even know what their culture is. And you just have this melange of, of people who are despondent mm -hmm. and are looking for leadership. You got a vacuum there that gets that can be filled fairly quickly by some history shows us pretty uh, you know unsavory ugly types ugly people ugly yeah. people uh, you know so you know I, I i could be way out to lunch here I, you know i may have like crazy well being the eternal optimist i i hope you are but you know it's part and parcel of human nature to uh to sometimes takes an easy route or hope that there's an easy route or that somebody else has got the answer to the problem. And um, like you said, we don't have to go too far back in our history to, uh, to find those kinds of situations.
Um, yeah, it. And history shows that history shows us that history doesn't teach us anything. I mean, sadly, you know, you you uh, we have essentially a civilization that is at the moment, which has the uh, jokingly we call it the the attention span of a goldfish, because when you look at the, what's happened in the last uh, year people well their memories go back two weeks they don't even know what how we got to where we are whether it's an economic uh, mm -hmm. uh, screw up or or social disaster yeah who knows yeah i mean yeah. it's 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 you know we, we of course you know we're both uh, you know resident in, in canada and we and you look at what's going on with the this this review in Ottawa about the uh, convoy, freedom convoy, whatever they called it, the, 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 the occupation of, of Wellington Street of, of downtown Ottawa. And, and now there's all sorts of you know, amnesia victims at this, at this hearing who don't remember what they said or if they said it, that's not what they meant. Uh, and oh boy, oh boy, you know, it's, it's, it just makes you wonder, like, what's happened to us as a society? And in the meantime, there's there's so many things happening in the background, as you say, and they put us in, and we're focused, the news is focused on Ukraine, 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 which I asked the question the other day, and I, we talked about this, what is the strategic issue with Ukraine? Like, what, you most people before this happened, in North America, couldn't find Ukraine on the map. If you put it up on the wall and said, show me, you know, mm -hmm. they couldn't. Yet all we, we have seen have been completely overwhelmed with this propaganda, short of, I can't think of another word, uh, of, of, you know, that these people are all right and, and the Russians are all wrong. Okay, well, if that's the case, show me where the all wrong is and mm -hmm. where the all right is. I mean, I remember before the 24th of February, we we're talking about Ukraine as a corrupt government uh, you know, full of oligarchs who nobody liked. All of a sudden, you know, that's not true anymore. We don't talk about it. Um, in the meantime, uh, uh, the dysfunctionality of the of the media is only uh, uh, beaten by the dysfunctionality of governments yeah. that are in charge of this stuff. I mean, there's one thing here, 63,000 DHS cases thrown out of immigration court because Nobody gave him the notice to appear. Uh, who, uh, 238,000 Canadian federal public servants still work from home. Uh, you, you know, doing what? I don't, you know. Yeah, well. I guess, uh, you hmm. want to talk about the dysfunctionality of, 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 of government systems or, it's, or, 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 or uh, states. No wonder we can't deal with the 5 million in any way because they, they, they were all over the map. You know, no one's giving us direction. Where's the leadership? Well, I, I guess that goes back to my pessimistic uh, outlook on, on the voters. And, and I, I don't know, you could probably Google it. You could probably find something about it. But when the uh, Parliament of Britain enacted the laws that the average common Joe could actually vote, there was something coming out of the House of Lords along the line of now we've allowed the unwashed unwashed masses to 
determine our fate. And when you start looking at, at well, particularly here in Canada, when you've got amnesia victims, as you refer to them, being continually voted in, is it the unwashed masses that are that dense not to see that? Or is it just the fact that they don't care? Or is it the fact that, well, my dad was a liberal, my mom was a liberal, my grandparents were liberal, I'm a liberal, or, you know, my my whole family history is conservative, so I have to vote conservative. And I guess we've lost space in faith in, in, in that sense, because whoever you elect to represent you in whatever government or government model that you have, they're not there to look after your interests anymore. They're there to look after the party interest and their own interest. And, you know, maybe that's a bit harsh. Maybe it's a bit black and white, but it sure seems to be the way it is, in my opinion. Yeah, well, um, it, uh, uh, apparently in, in, uh, in Canada, the government doesn't tell the, 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 the police or the justice uh, law enforcement community what they need to do. Uh, uh, apparently, uh, the Prime Minister of Canada has said uh, to, to uh, the press this afternoon, that, for example, the uh, police were never told what to do about the blockades uh, with uh, businesses and, and uh, bridges and whatever. He, he said, uh, and I'll read this, this is from CTV, amid pressure to end the Indigenous protests of vital Canadian rail links. You remember before this Freedom Convoy stuff was on. Trudeau said disruptions had to resolve through dialogue, not by ordering in the police. Then he acknowledges the difficulties of blockades caused for travel and business, but he made it clear Friday the federal government no plans to make the RCMP dismantle them. We are not the kind of country where politicians tell the police what to do, Trudeau said. Really? Come on. I mean, are you, are you, where, where, where are you getting this? this so now, this goes back two years now, okay? Mm -hmm. This is not, but if you're not going to, if, if, if that's the case, then obviously someone uh, told the police what to do in Ottawa in February. Who, who said, and so if you're going to say one day that we don't tell them what to do and the next day you did tell them what to do, okay, then, you know, you, you can't have it both ways. You're either in charge of your law enforcement uh, community or your justice department, or you're not. And, uh, it's, it's evident to me that there's, there's a lot of, look, politicians lie all the time. It doesn't matter which country, which Paul, it, 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 they have a certain amount of larceny in all of them. That's just, that's politics. Okay, we grab it. But when you do the big lie, I mean, the really big ones, they stick out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and that's true. And it, and it goes back a bit to the, uh, the border issues. Um, maybe in the United States, certainly in Canada. Uh, why is it that if a person comes in at a port of entry, they can be turned back, but if they sneak in, they can't be turned back, right? It's, it's, it should be the same criteria. Uh, we've got the thing now in the Supreme Court where they're trying to challenge the fact that we can't send back because of a, uh, a partner isn't a safe third country. Well, I, 
this this business of you know saying that the Canadian Supreme Court last Thursday said the U.S. is unsafe for asylum seekers. I'm thinking this make again like. I'm a loss for words. I can't understand this anymore. You know, uh, the assumption that Canadian American governments operate off of similar constitutional values, according to our people, is apparently wrong. You know, it seems to me that I thought we were pretty well, you know, singing from the same hymn book. But apparently, yeah. according to uh, uh, the Washington Post, uh, you know, that's not the case. Yeah. Well, and again. It... It's it's part and parcel uh, of a loss of faith of faith in government, a loss of faith in the uh, the legal system, the justice system, whatever you want to call it. Um, I I don't think it's going to bode well uh, in the long run. It 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 certainly is leading to dare I say it to a, an anarchy. Well, you know, I, I, I think this is all a part of the dismantling of borders, the dismantling of sovereign countries. This is, this is these are little bits and pieces of, of uh, you know, uh, of the mosaic or connect the dots, whatever uh, euphemism you want to use. Uh, in this last bit, uh, they write about that asylum seekers and advocacy groups argue that the Safe Third Country Agreement opens can the U.S. up to potential violations of international human rights the principle of non-refoulement, which protects refugees from forcibly returned to the country they fled because of the possibility that the American government reject their settlement in the country. Like, so what? You know, well, all of a sudden, some mythical international law, whether it's, even if it exists, you know, this is getting ridiculous where yeah. various countries basically are willing to tear up their own constitution, tear up their own, uh, their own sovereignty, uh, protections for their own citizens because uh, you know some international law was created by probably countries that have despotic leaderships to begin with and dreamt these things up. When I read that uh, the bottom line here from the Canadian lawyer Marianne Zurich said that uh, to the Post that the necessary elements of what is required for a safe third country have to meet the terms of international law when it comes to the U.S. can agreement. Now you're telling me that countries now are going to be looking to those despots who dream up stuff in, in, in various committees in the UN, where you have on the Human Rights Council the most bizarre players who, who have the worst human rights record, uh, you know, sitting on those councils. I, you know, this is an upside down world. Anyway. Yeah, it is. But it, it does go back to what we were saying at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, are we being directed like a magician to look at the left hand so that you don't see what's going on with the right hand? I, I, yeah. I can't help but think that that's the case. And I would hope that eventually we're going to have enough people stand up. And, and, and I guess it happened in, in Britain, right? I mean, they, they ousted Boris Johnson because his party had enough of them. There were enough people who, yes. dare I say it, had integrity or were just had reached a point of finality with him to say, you got to go. Yeah. Um, would that happen in a place like Canada or in the United States or 
Germany or France. I, I don't know. Uh, well, we rode on the streets of Paris in, in the thousands, but Canadians will be afraid to go out in the streets of, in the thousands because the government may just freeze their bank accounts. Uh, listen, can you, if you're afraid of your government, uh, there's a problem in your country. And I think there's a lot of people in this country who are afraid of the government. And, you know, they sent a message in February that if you piss us off, we're going to pull the plug on your bank account. You're going to lose your house. You're going to, you're going to lose your job. You know, that's not, you know, we were kids. So you just say, uh, this is a free country. And it was kind of a saying we had on the, on the streets. I don't think we're there at the moment because this really sends a cold chill. Uh, you know, you yeah. know, how long we even will be able to do what we do here. You know, questioning stuff is uh, interesting. Well, it does come back down with the uh, the internet bill that they've got before Parliament here. You know, if it doesn't meet certain requirements or the government doesn't think that it's um, a viable site or a site that meets the content requirements, you know, our, our border channel uh, could be turned off. Our uh, access to borderpole.org could be lost. Uh, you know, we could be at a loss because they might decide that Border Hawk News is um, a rabble-rouse left-wing, right-wing, center-wing page that is just no good, and you you know you, you have no business reading it. Uh, so, yeah, where where does it stop? Where where are we going? What is the? Well, we got to stop now because yeah, we have thirty minutes is up. Oh, we stopped it on a good point. Well, I think so. And, and I hope that people that are out there listening take this to heart. And, uh, you know, we would certainly welcome new members and uh, looking for points of view. Uh, you know, maybe we are, maybe we're off on the wrong page. You know, please let us know if we are. <laughs> heavens, heavens to Bessie knows that, uh, as my mom used to say, we're not angels because we don't have wings. So 